Kentucky. Thank you all for worshiping with us today. Great things he has done indeed. And today might be and obviously is the greatest of them all. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to open up with me to John chapter 20, uh, Gospel of John chapter 20. We'll begin reading the verse 10 verses of this text and we'll uh, eventually make our way through the end uh, and into the next chapter uh, as we uh, try to soak up all that this day has for us and that God's word has to say uh, to us about it. We'll be flipping to some other texts uh, in Romans and uh, Colossians. We'll get you there later on in our time together. But first, God's word, John chapter 20. John was a bystander. John was an eyewitness to all the events of Jesus's life. He was there from day one. He was there at the cross and he was there at the empty tomb. So let's hear what John has to say. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. That's how you know John wrote this because he's not hiding uh, that uh, a little personal bias there. Um, The other disciple outran him and he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Simon Peter came in following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture or they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, Right off the bat, I want to make sure we understand what Easter is and and what Easter can mean to us. And we're going to begin by talking about it on a very big universal scale. Then we're going to narrow in to what it means to you, what it means to me, what it means to us. (laughs) Easter is the ultimate celebration for the people of God, the ultimate celebration for all of creation. Easter is the ultimate celebration, but it's also the ultimate invitation. Easter invites all of us to come and see what God has done. It it defines the terms with which we can relate to God. If you want to know the the crux of Easter is that we can now know God and belong to God based on something that he has done for us. Easter makes it clear that God has done something for us that requires nothing from us save our trust in him. The invitation isn't to blindly believe that something happened 2,000 years ago. There's plenty of evidence that something incredible happened. It's not to believe that something happened, but it's to believe that something that happened had something to do with you and has something to offer you. The invitation is to put faith in what God did 2,000 years ago and what he can do through that event and through that work all these years later. To believe that what God did on that first Easter was for us and has the power to revolutionize our lives. We gather today to celebrate exactly what God did. Right out the gate, Easter reminds us that uh, Christianity is not like any other religion. It's not really a religion at all by the terms of the word. Religion has always been about man's efforts to reach God, but Christianity is about God's success at reaching us. 
not only reaching us, but providing for us what religion cannot provide for us. You see, religion says do, but Christianity, specifically Jesus says done. In fact, that's the very word that came out of Jesus' mouth as he hung on the cross when he suffered like us and for us. He poured out his blood to destroy the power that sin and hell lord over our lives. Jesus locked horns with the enemy. He gave up his innocent, sacred blood so that we might be free and find salvation. But the reason why Jesus is the one who gives us this freedom and the new life is not found in his death alone. You see, his death was only as effective and is only an effective and efficient remedy because he rose back to life. It takes both events. It takes the resurrection to punctuate what his death means. His ability to overcome the grave and provide, provided, proved and punctuated his ability to save us from sin and death. The resurrection authenticated and activated his crucifixion's power and provision. So the short of it is many people were crucified, but only one has ever been resurrected. That's why you should pay attention to what Jesus' crucifixion is all about. And that's why you should pay attention to what his resurrection means for the world. The one who was resurrected, he died on a cross. Unlike anybody else, he was innocent. He was spotless. He was a substitute for every one of us. Easter in so many ways confirms that Jesus indeed came to save us and he succeeded in doing so. Easter's open tomb is a picture of heaven's open gates, the kingdom of God's open doors. Jesus lived with his arms spread wide. He died with his arms spread wide. And he invites us to come and see that there is a gift available to us, that our world, our lives, everything is different because of Easter. The thing that doesn't get talked about enough on Easter is how literally nobody saw it coming. Nobody expected this. Everybody believed that Jesus was from God because nobody could do the things that he did apart from that. Uh, they, nobody considered that he came to do anything that would glorify God at his own expense. No one thought this man came from God to benefit people, but not himself. Why would someone with his power and privilege do anything that would cost themselves something? When Jesus did suffer and die, people quickly changed their tune on him because messiahs don't bleed, saviors don't lose, God with us cannot die. So when Jesus was buried, everyone assumed it was over. He did some amazing things, he said incredible things, he performed signs and wonders, but he was in the grave now and nobody ever came back from those. Save some of the women disciples who respected him. Nobody paid a visit to the tomb. Even they only came to say goodbye one last time because they didn't get the chance to Friday night. Nobody was there Sunday morning expecting a resurrection. And even after the stone was found to be rolled away, even after what appeared to be angels showed up, even after the disciples saw and visited the tomb, it just didn't make sense to them. It just didn't click to them. If you read all four gospels, their emotions were not joy or excitement, but they were fear and confusion. And John 20 verse nine puts it very clear to us and gives us a touch of certainty. Uh, they had not yet understood the scriptures. That they looked in the tomb and they were amazed. And, uh, and you know, they were, obviously Jesus isn't there anymore. And, and, and we hear that John believed, but what did he believe? But John tells us that nobody, nobody understood that this was always 
meant to be. This was always going to happen. This was God's plan from the beginning. Nobody was there with a countdown clock. Nobody was there live streaming saying, hey, this is about to happen. Everybody that should have been there expecting it was afraid, was scared, was bewildered, was confused, but they weren't expecting a resurrection. Now, I think this is a good launching point for us today because maybe that's where you're at. Maybe it's never made sense to you what Easter is all about. Maybe you've never understood what Easter means, not just for you, but for the whole world. What does Easter mean? And according to John, the scriptures actually speak to that, that the resurrection is the, is the main thing. The resurrection is, is the event that changes everything. It's the event that all scripture was leading up to and all scripture continues from. Maybe you've never understood that. And if the church has any calling, if pastors and preachers have any calling, it's to make clear, especially on this day every year, exactly what Easter is all about. So if Easter can be summed up in a word or two, I think the best way to capture it would be to say that Easter is our inheritance. That Easter is an inheritance from God to us. So to be more specific, that as a citizen of earth, And as a member of the human race, Easter is an inheritance that God has left for you that will change your place as a citizen, as a member. It will change and redefine your role. It will change your life as a member of this race, as a citizen of this planet. Easter is God's inheritance for you. So an inheritance is something that you receive and that you unwrap and take advantage of. And that's what Easter is. And that's what God has sent to you. And that's what is available to you. So I hope today we can make clear that you can leave here with a clear understanding of what Easter means for all of creation and for you. So let's start by talking about what it means for all of creation, what it means for the world. Easter brought about and continues to bring about a new reality on the world regarding this earth and our world. Earth's Easter inheritance is the new creation. The Bible talks about this again and again, that the gift of God through Easter to the world is that he has installed or enacted a new creation. A new reality has been set in motion. And for us, we've only ever experienced, we've only ever lived on this side of the resurrection. We don't know what it was like before. And we may begrudge and bemoan and you know complain about the world and all the things in the world that aren't as they should be. And there's plenty that aren't, but we don't know what it was like before, we, before the world lived in the aftermath of a resurrected savior. We've only ever knew that reality, but I wanna talk about what that means and what that means for us. Uh, the gravity and the importance of what this and what this means and what it can mean cannot be overstated. Jesus came to earth from heaven. He is God incarnated to restore creation to its original intent and God's original design. So what does that mean? In the beginning, God made a perfect and complete world. But very early on in the story, creation was undone, unraveled at the seam. All because the first generation of people rebelled against God. And when they rebelled, everything else unraveled with them. Every form of evil, suffering, violence, all that is wrong stems from the fall that creation took back in generation one. All these years later, the troubles we face, the darkness that looms, the pain that persists is a result of creation's pivot away from God. Romans 5 explains it like this. 
Just as sin came into the world through one man, death came through sin, and so death has spread to all man, all creation, all of people. And as sin spread, the world was immersed in violence and hatred, hostility, brokenness, and chaos. The world was surrounded by and threatened by death on every corner. And here's how sin works. It works to defeat us, to distract us, and to deceive us, to keep us from God's best. And sometimes it gives us the worst, and sometimes it gives us counterfeit. Sometimes sin's way of defeating and distracting us and deceiving us is it tries to beat us down and cause us to lose hope. And other times it causes us to put our faith in counterfeit things that take us away from God and think that we don't need God. In our world today, I think there are, we can clearly see these two realities at, at play and we can see that there are these separations from God's best on every corner. The world is full of pain and suffering and brokenness. It berates people with the sting of sin and swallows people with death. And there's also a world drunk on excess in materialism, deceived by treasures of this world, hobbies and pastimes that don't satisfy our soul's desire for true purpose and peace and give us enough of a high to quench our thirst briefly and bring us back to that well again, but they never leave us full. Sin works to beat us down and to tie us down. All the while, humanity's destiny and inheritance has been one of separation from God. The result of Adam and Eve walking away from God and all of humanity falling with them has been a curse of sin and death for every one of us. But Jesus came to reverse the curse, to make creation right with God. Before we could ever be made right with God personally, the world had to be as God originally intended it to be. This means a world where sin and death are no longer in control. That's why Jesus came to take sin on himself, to die under its force, to ultimately disarm it. Whereas creation had turned away from God, Jesus entered the world. He made the first move back in our direction. It's not insignificant. And I want you to notice this. This is really awesome, I think. It's not insignificant that in John's gospel especially, there are clear parallels to the steps Jesus took in making things right. There are clear parallels to his pathway to the cross and his time on the cross to how it all began in Genesis. That Jesus' work on the cross has a specific connection to what took place in Genesis when everything began to fall apart. Look back in John at chapter 19, verse 38 through 42, at the end of chapter 19. And I want you to see if you can pick up on something that should cause your ears to perk up a little bit. This is about the aftermath of his death, but we'll get some details about the scene of his death. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And here's the big verse. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus. Jesus was crucified in a garden. 
He was buried in a garden. Where did the fall take place? In a garden. Do you see the picture taking shape? And if you go back even farther, back in chapter 18, the night Jesus died, he took his disciples to a place to pray where he was arrested. And where did he go to pray? In a garden. John really wants us to get this theme and get this trend and see this parallel. Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will be done in a garden. He cried into his father, to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit in a garden. He shouted, it is finished in a garden. And isn't that the exact opposite of what Adam did? In a garden, Adam asserted his will over God's. In a garden, Adam refused God to trust in God and refused to give his life into God's hands. In a garden, Adam calls creation to be undone and unfinished. And Jesus reversed every bit of that. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. Because in a garden, Adam calls this problem. And in a garden, Jesus reversed and fixed the problem. He was laid to rest in a garden. And it was in a garden that creation unraveled. It was in another garden that creation came back together. Sin was atoned for. He was a buried seed of a new creation. And it's from that garden tomb that he rose back to life. The first fruits of what was to come. No longer was the world helpless in sin. No longer is the world bound by death. Apart from Christ, we are born into a world that dooms us before we even begin our lives. But because of Jesus, we step into a new world and we have an inheritance to tap into and see unleashed through us. Romans 5 says this, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus. So before, because of what Adam did in a garden, sin reigned and produced death. But because of what Jesus did in a garden, God's grace reigns and his life reigns through the resurrection. When Adam sinned and eventually died, it was a harbinger of things to come. But when Jesus rose back to life, a world, our world was gifted the grace of God. And it's that grace that invites us to enter the new creation. Sin is no longer the dominant force in this world. Is there still sin? You better believe it. Is that sin rearing its ugly head every minute of every day? Yes. You know why? Because of sinners like us. And God is patient with sinners like us. God is gracious towards sinners like us. You know how? You know how or what is the proof that sin is no longer the dominant force, but God's grace has replaced it? Because the very fact that you and I are allowed to persist in our sin shows us that God is a gracious God. He does not judge us, but rather is patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but all come to Jesus. See, I know it's perspective, it's a perspective shift, but we often focus on how the world is just so irredeemable. But be careful how you talk about the world that Jesus died for. Sin is no longer the dominant force in this world. God's grace has replaced it. God's grace bears with us because God knows he can save us and change us. In a world where there was only one garden story, yes, there's no hope. But because of the garden that Jesus died in and was buried in and rose back to life in, 
we have an everlasting hope. And that brings us to what Easter can mean and should mean to you, to each of us. If Easter were to be summed up in a couple of words as pertaining to us, I think the words would be new beginning or new life. Easter is full of potential and opportunity for every one of us. If you don't know Easter as the portal or the gateway to a new beginning or new life, then you don't know Easter. And if you don't know Jesus as the one who brings you into new life, then you don't know the Jesus of Easter. Then you don't know Jesus at all. We've heard already what Easter has accomplished for us. It has set things in order. It has disarmed sin and defeated death. The things that dominated us apart from Christ, they have been buried with Christ. Now, every one of us knows things, are well aware of things that are overwhelming at times, that are controlling at times. Every one of us has things that we feel like we can't get out from under, we can't get free from, we can't get away from. But the promise of Easter to you, the promise of Easter that so few of us have tapped into is that we can be freed because of Jesus's resurrection. What Easter invites us to do is to see all those things that hold us back, that bury us as having died with Jesus. To see our sin and our flesh as having died with Jesus so that we might find our new self and find grace in his resurrection. So we, we've heard of what Easter, what Easter means to creation. We have lived in that world as long as we've been alive because we've been here for, the world's been this way for 2,000 years. A world where God is patient with sinners or where God loves sinners and invites sinners. We know what God has done and what Easter has meant to creation, but this is where it comes to you and what Easter can mean to you. But it requires that we see our sin and our flesh as having died with Jesus so that we might find new life in his resurrection. Let me, let me break it down like this for you. Our sin became his sin. When Jesus died, he took on our sin. So our sin became his sin. He knows everything about us that we don't wanna talk about, that we're ashamed of. He took it on himself willingly. Your sin, my sin, our sin, the sin that we have let go of, the sin that we won't let go of, that nobody else knows about, but we know about and God knows about, that sin was put on Jesus. Whether you let, let go of it or not, whether you admit it or not, God put your sin on his son. And our death became his death. As in our sin is, if we don't let God take care of it, our sin is gonna produce death, eternal death. Our sin is gonna cause us to be eternally separated from God. But because God loves us and made a way for that not to be the reality we have to live in forever, God took our sin and made it his sin. He took our death and made it his death. Whether you let him make it, whether you acknowledge this or not, admit this or not, accept this or not, receive this or not, the, the, the top part there has already been done for you. Everybody that dies apart from God, everyone that dies without faith in Jesus, they still were recipients of that gift. Whether they acknowledge it or not or embrace it or not or receive it or not, Jesus did it for them. Jesus has done it for you. His, your sin became his sin. Your death became his death. So that his grace might become our grace. 
so that what gave him that connection to God and what gave him that life that we have no uh, uh, ability to comprehend, our, his grace can become our grace so that his life might become our life. Do you see the three line there? So your Easter inheritance is available if, if, if you see what Jesus did as for you. And if you see what Jesus did as for you, Jesus will come to life in you. Look down at verse number 30 and 31. This is how John sums up the Easter story, more, better than I could, better than anybody could. John has written this whole book, this whole story to, te- to punctuate the Easter message. And this is what John, how he summarizes it in verse 30, 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But I didn't write this to tell you all the things that Jesus did. I wrote this to tell you about Easter. I wrote this to tell you about the death and resurrection of Jesus. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, your Savior, your Messiah. I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, is the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name or have life in and through him. That is the simple and powerful summary of Easter. That is the invitation over every one of you today. Jesus has restored creation. He wants to restore you. He wants, and he can restore you. He wants his grace and his life to become yours. We celebrate that there is no longer any barrier between us and God, that Jesus presented himself a perfect sacrifice to God. God's message to us is that we might believe that Jesus' death and resurrection has the ability to change our lives. He can reconcile us to God. He can rescue us and regenerate us and resurrect us. God has made a way. God has made a way for you to die to sin's influence in nature and be wrapped in and raised up in the resurrection life of Jesus. And don't take my word for it. Take John's word for it. But if you want some more proof, keep your place there in John, but flip over to Romans chapter six. I want you to look at this passage. We've been studying this in our Bible studies, but it's too good not to bring out on Easter because this is one of the greatest summaries of what life in Christ means. Romans six, verse five through eight. I just want you to hear how Paul essentially repeats himself for four verses, but he tells us what we have access to as believers, or if we are believers, this is what you can have access to. Romans 6, verse five, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, if we understand that he did that for us and it was our sin and our death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We receive his grace, we receive his life. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's what Easter means to you. What it should mean, what it can mean. Over in Colossians 3, I'll read this to you. You can look at it if you'd like to. Colossians 3, this is what Paul writes in the same vein. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Christ who is our life. 
when he appears, we will also appear with him in glory. Do you see the picture there? That Christ died for our sins to give us new life. So let me try to break this down for you in the most practical way possible before we wrap up. Here are three things that Easter can mean for you. And again, bookmark these Bible verses. I sh- you should read those and study those if you, want more, if you want even more about what we've talked about today, Romans and Colossians. But here are three things Easter does for you. And I want you to ask yourself, is Easter doing this for me? Has Easter done this for me? And if it hasn't, be honest and unwrap this gift today, please. Three things that Easter does for you. Number one, it reconciles you to God. It rescues you with Jesus and it regenerates you through the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about what reconciliation means. That means that everything that could ever stand between you and God has been removed. Now that might be incredible for some people to even accept or even entertain, but everything, and if you you struggle with guilt, if you struggle with your past, I want you to hear this because this is good news. This is the gospel. Everything that stands in between you and God has been removed. Nothing will ever stand between you and God. Nothing can ever stand between you and God. So here's what I think a lot of us need to hear. Your standing with God is not based on your merit or your works or anything you've done or you can do. And if anybody ever says to you, you've got to do this for God to love you or accept you, they are lying to you. Your standing with God is not based on what you've done or what you do. It's based on Jesus' work on your behalf and God's love for you made clear through Jesus' death and resurrection. So if you've had someone... So if you're, if you're someone that you only feel as alive as you are perfect, don't raise your hands because, and I'll raise my hand for you because I am one of these. If you are a perfectionist and you feel like when you fail that you somehow, your worth and your value to God somehow take a dip. If you're somebody that you are a perfectionist and you think that you're only as good to God and you're only as worthy and valuable to God or to the world in general, when you measure up, Easter cries loud to you today. God has reconciled you to himself through Christ. Christ is enough to bring you back to God. Nothing you do or don't do has anything to do with it. That's good news. I don't know about y'all, but that is good news. And if somehow religion has warped your mind to think that it's about what you do and what you've done, come on, that is a burden that you don't have to bear and that is keeping you from the good news and from the grace of God. To suggest that we have to bring something to God is to suggest that Jesus didn't bring enough to God and we know he brought his life to God for us. So quit holding yourself to an impossible standard to, and embrace God's standard of perfection and live in the perfection that he has put on display for us. Colossians 1 says, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, that's you, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And what made that transaction, what made that possible? Jesus reconciles you to God. 
That is your Easter inheritance. Not what you bring, not what you do. Jesus has done it for you. Do not try to be a perfectionist. Do not live in a world where you think it's about what you do in your performance because that will suffocate you from the grace of God. Easter is about getting out of that grave and living under his grace. He has reconciled us to God. He himself. I think that's pretty incredible. Might be all downhill from here, but that's good news. The other thing that Easter does for you is it rescues you with Jesus. Some of you are looking for someone in this world to prop you up. Some of you are looking for something in this world to save you and to define you and complete you. There is nothing in this world, there is nobody, not your spouse, not your children, not your parents, not anybody that you could ever dream of. There is nobody in this world that will ever do for you what the presence of Jesus does for you. Not a condition in this world, not a reality in this country, not a certain financial situation or status, not a certain political rule. There is nobody or nothing that will do for you what the presence of Jesus does for you. Colossians 2.10 says, you have been filled, you have been complete in him. If you are putting this kind of pressure on somebody or something around you to complete you and be enough for you, no wonder you're miserable and no wonder they're miserable because they know they can't function under that kind of duress. But the good news is you can be rescued by Jesus. He will come to you and be with you and will never leave you. And in him, you find who you are looking for, what you are looking for. He brings you into fellowship with God. He gives you a relationship with God. He connects your heart to God. Where you are, he is with you. He is always with you. When the world forsakes you, Jesus is with you. When somebody lets you down, Jesus is with you. When you are alone, Jesus is with you and you find life in him. So there is nobody's presence and nothing in this world that will give you what Jesus alone gives you. And lastly, Easter's inheritance for you is that you can be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That means the power of sin and death in your life has been rolled back. Just like the stone was rolled away, sin's power and death's power over you has been rolled away. And if you're still living in the lifestyle dominated by sin, which produces nothing but death, perpetual death in your relationships, in your opportunities, spiritually, you can be and you are invited to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, Paul says, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead in sin, because of sin, the spirit is life. His spirit in you is life because of righteousness, his righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You know why he says mortal there? Because we use the excuse, oh, I'm just a sinner. I'm a, I'm a fleshly creature. I'm gonna do sinful things. You don't have to anymore. You can be freed because your mortal body can receive the eternal life that his spirit puts in you. About time, amen. There's a lot of things I think we could amen there. You are no longer under a rock anymore. 
You're still, if you're still living under sin's compulsions and death's dominions, the Holy Spirit is working to deliver you. If you're still obeying sin and its lusts, if you're still bowing to sinful nature, if you're giving into fear and anger, immorality and illegality, death is leaving you defeated in so many areas. The things God has given you the capacity for, faith and joy and purity and intimacy and opportunities to serve him, those things are being robbed of you by sin and death's power. Jesus rose again to break that power in your life. And if you've seen Christ's death as the death to your sin and your sinful nature, then you can see his resurrection as life for your soul. And let me say this before anybody misinterprets me. Are you going to mess up? Are you going to go back into, I need this person, I need this thing, I, you know, I feel like I've got to earn this. Are you going to go back down that road? Of course you are. That's your nature. But you can be forever resurrected, raised up by the Spirit of God. Are you going to slip up? Are you going to mess up? Are you going to sin? Of course you are. But the resurrection power says you cannot stay that way. This is all contingent on the very transaction, this imitation to see who you are apart from God and as crucified with and buried with Christ so that you might find your new life in Christ's resurrection. You are no longer dependent on your own perfection to earn your way to God. You aren't. You are no longer dependent on somebody else's presence or some presence in this world, some reality in this world. You are not dependent on that to make you feel as if things are okay with you and God. You are no longer dominated by the power of sin and death. You aren't. If you're living under any of those rocks, Easter says it's better than that. In Christ's resurrection, we no longer have to live under or by sin's condemnation because sin likes to say, oh, you're, you're, you're imperfect, you're a failure. Of course we are. That's why Jesus died for us. And in his resurrection, sin can no longer condemn you. Sin no longer can condition you to think, well, I need that and it's gotta be this way or that way or I'm not gonna feel okay because your feelings will deceive you and you are no longer bound by your feelings because you have been saved by faith. In Christ's resurrection, you're no longer living under or by sin's condemnation, sin's conditioning or sin's compulsions. You don't do what your flesh tells you to do. You don't have to anymore. We have come alive in his perfection, his presence, and his power. This is our Easter inheritance. You know, the thing about inheritances, though, usually when the deed is written some, following somebody's death or somebody's departure, you, that's you, you have to go and sign it to be able to unlock what it means for you personally. You have to pursue what was deeded to you. And that's my question today. Are you pursuing your Easter inheritance? One of Jesus' disciples had a pretty infamous falling away prior to the death of Jesus. Remember Peter denied him three times and fled away in shame. Jesus paid him a special visit after the resurrection to make sure that Peter got a hold of what Jesus was leaving behind for him. But Peter was just like us. Sometimes we are dealing with things and we become obsessed with somebody else's situation and we become obsessed with what somebody else is doing. And it's tempting to look over our shoulders and say, what about them? But God wants us to think about us right now. Over in John 21, listen to how 
this little epilogue goes when Jesus confronts Peter. John 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had leaned, his breast on the, who leaned on his breast at supper, John. And he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So that's talking about what John did at the Lord's Supper. But Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So Jesus was all up in Peter's business trying to get him to make this decision and trying to get him to unwrap his inheritance. And, and Peter, in his flesh, says, well, don't, why, why are you worried about me? Where about that guy? And Jesus says to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You, Peter, you follow me. What has Jesus' message been to us from the, from the very day he rose again? He says to you, I'm talking to you. Are you following me? So I'm asking you, are you following Jesus? And the indication of your following Jesus is, are you living in the life of the resurrection? Are you living the new life he's given you? And that's a simple yes or no question. Maybe you're someone who has put your faith in Jesus. You believe he died for you. You believe he came back to life to give you eternal life. You prayed that prayer when you were a child. But if you're honest, you haven't seen any difference. You're still living in a world where religion rules your life and you're trying to earn it and trying to work for it and trying to prove yourself and you feel bad about yourself and you feel miserable most days. You're trying to make somebody else make you happy and trying to make somebody else be what you want them to be because you feel like something's not enough in you. You're still living in sin. Just be honest. Sin still rules your life. Are you following Jesus if that is your reality? I don't think so. And Easter invites you to follow Jesus, to find life in him. Are you living in the perfection and presence and power of his resurrection? Are you pursuing and enjoying because the Christian life is a joyful one. It's not miserable, it's not a burden, it's life and it's joyful life. So I want you to ask the question to yourself today, are you pursuing and enjoying your Easter inheritance? This is the question that you personally can answer alone. So why not settle that question today? Choose today that you want to take hold of the life that Jesus has deeded to you. He died to take away any and all barriers between you and God. He rose back to life to show you that he alone is your savior and your healer and in him alone is redemption. He reconciles you, he rescues you, he regenerates you, he restored creation, he can redeem us. He is the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords. We must follow him with total faith and surrender if we are to unwrap the Easter inheritance that he has left for us. So my question to you and my, what I implore for you today is would you take hold of this gift? Would you find yourself in the resurrection of Jesus? Would you see his death as a death for you and his resurrection as a gift to you? And would you take hold of eternal life in him? We're gonna have a song and. If you're here today and you have not taken hold of eternal life, I believe with God's word having been laid out for us today, I believe it's been made clear to us what resurrection life can be. I believe our Easter inheritance has been specifically and clearly outlined before us. Are you following Jesus? Are you enjoying your inheritance? And if you aren't, make today the day that you start following him you restart following him. I don't care the nomenclature, whatever it is, wherever you're at, if you're not where you need to be, restart today. Start fresh today. That's God's will for you this Easter. Because he lives, 
you can live as well. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Easter inheritance, the Easter gift you have given to us. May we all be found taking hold of and enjoying this gift. Lord, if there's anybody in the house today that they're just not where they need to be, and it's not because you haven't made it available to them, it's just because in their flesh and in their sin, they just let things get in between them and you. And, and, and after hearing how you've removed those barriers, why would we still do that? Lord, would you remind us all today, you have restored creation. You have given us grace and you can change our lives with that grace. Lord, if there's anybody in the house today that would have faith to step out and say, I want that resurrection life. Would you answer them by taking their hand and filling their hearts and showing them how you've reconciled them, how you've rescued them, how you've regenerated and restored them and give them a resurrection today in their heart. Lord, we thank you for life and we pray that we might take hold of it today in Jesus' name, amen.